All right. Well, again, happy Mother's Day, moms, and uh, you're a blessing, I hope. No, I'm kidding. Of course you are. Uh, I, I love how uh, God works. I love how God has put everything in, in order. I love how God has designed everything to be. Uh, and God gave us uh, uh, moms and dads for a reason, didn't he? Um, you definitely, definitely need your father, right, to, to, to put you back on a straight and narrow when you need it, right? But there is nothing like mom, right? There is just, there's just nothing like mom. You know, I, 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 I'm not too big of a cream puff, but when I talk to my mom, I still call her mommy, you know what I mean? You know, dad, it's, hey, daddy, pop, you know? But my mom is still my mommy, right? Because there's nobody that shows that kind of un unconditional love like, like moms do. Um, you are a blessing. You are a blessing. So thank you so much for being who you are and doing what you do and um, praying for God's blessing to be on you today and, and throughout the rest of the year. We are in the book of Deuteronomy, and we are starting chapter 29 this morning. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 29. Uh, and again, Deuteronomy means second law, uh, the first of which they received at Mount Sinai after the Exodus, and uh, the people went out into Horeb to Mount Sinai, and, and there God gave them the Ten Commandments, and God delivered to Moses all of the laws uh, concerning the, their worship of him, their behavior to, uh, amongst each other to one another, the sacrificial system, the building of the tabernacle, all of these things. And then from there they traveled towards the promised land, which scripture tells us is an 11-day journey. Uh, and they got to the promised land and they saw the giants that lived in the land. They saw the difficulty, the armies that were there, and they lost hope. They lost faith. And they said, we can't take it. We can't enter in. There's no way. There was only a couple of men, uh, Caleb and Joshua, who had went in as spies who said, we can absolutely take it. And here's the reason why, because God has said so. And so uh, what God is always teaching his people is that we don't look to the size of the problem, we don't look to the size of the trial, the tribulation, the difficulty, but instead we look to the size of our God. Uh, you know, I, sometimes when I banter back and forth with some of my uh, agnostic and atheist friends that I have from high school and stuff like that, and, and I'll jokingly, but I'm serious as can be, say to them, you've got to remember, I believe in the invisible man in the sky, right? To quote George Carlin, you know, the invisible man in the sky. And it's a laughable thing to those who don't believe in the Lord. But I believe in God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength because of my studying of the Holy Word, because of the, of the prophecies fulfilled, because of the magnitude of what this book is. Uh, and I understand and, and understand and know that there's a God because of what he's accomplished in my life personally. Um, it is because of God's grace and God's mercy that I stand before you today. It's because of God's grace and God's mercy that my life is a blessed life that it is. Uh, not in money and not in monetary things, but my life, I'd say you always, I'm the richest man alive. I believe that with all of my heart. And it is 100% because of what, has got, what God has done in my life and the hope and the love and the truth that lives and abides in my heart. And that's what gets me through the hard times, the difficult times, the trials, the tribulations. Uh, we're going through a, a huge change in our country and in our culture and in the world around us. And so many have lost hope and so many people are confused and are angry and are disillusioned. Uh, and we have a tendency as believers to countenance that uh, and to blame it on this or to blame it on that or this group of people or that group of people. But people are people, 
right? People are people. As our pastor always tells us, there's one race, the human race, and we are all of us the same. The one thing that we learn from history is what? We don't learn from history, right? Because people are who people are, and people need hope. People need hope, and I just don't know how to give you any hope when it comes to the things of this world or what's happening in the world around us today, but I can absolutely, without a doubt, give you hope if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe in the Word of God, if you believe in what God has promised His people, I can absolutely give you hope. And that's the hope that lives inside of my heart and hopefully yours today. And that's the hope that God wants us to bring out to a world that desperately needs it. They don't need my judgment. They don't need my disapproval. They don't need my political opinion. They need the love of Jesus Christ. And that's who Jesus was. He went after the religious hypocrites and he showed love and grace and mercy to the most, the, the most vilest, what they were considered in that day and age, the vilest sinners amongst the people. Those are the ones that Jesus went to and extended his arm of friendship. The son of God who knew no sin. As the song that we sing says, he became sin who knew no sin that we might have a relationship with God and be restored. But it comes through faith. It comes through belief. It comes through understanding that he is who he says he is, and I believe in him. And so when we talk about the difficulty of the situation or the difficulty of the trial, we have to judge it based upon the God we serve. It's not big to him. You know, Pastor Chuck used to say, you know, our lack of faith and understanding in who God is is reflected in our prayers. You know what I mean? If somebody comes to you and says, hey, could you pray for me? I got a bad headache. Abs absolutely. absolutely. Lord, I pray that you take this headache away. Blah, blah, blah. If that doesn't work, take a couple of aspirin. You'll be, you'll be fine. Drink some water. Did you drink any water today? You know, this and that. But if they come and they say, hey, I just, I just got the diagnosis. I have cancer. Then we pray differently. Oh, Lord. Oh, we really got to get serious on this prayer now. Oh, God, it's cancer. Oh, what are we going to do? But then if somebody came to you and said, hey, look, you know, I lost my arm a while back in a tractor accident, and it really is hard walking around without an arm. Would you pray for me that God would grow me a new arm? You'd say, now, we don't pray for those kind of things, brother. God only does that in certain reptiles and stuff like that, right? And, and what the pastor was pointing out was, but is it for God, is it harder for God to restore an arm than it is to heal a headache? You know, and, and it's not about those things. The point he was making was the God that we serve transcends everything. And we don't always know and understand God's will. We don't always understand why he's doing what he's doing today. God, why are you allowing this thing? God, why am I going through this thing? God, why is this thing happening to me? But the scripture tells us to lift up our eyes and to put our focus on him who he is called by the word of God, the author and the perfecter or the finisher of our faith and to know and believe by faith that God is using and working everything in my life, both good and bad for his glory and to conform me into the image of Jesus Christ. Because as Paul said, for the, for the heart of a believer, it's supposed to be like this, for me, to live is Christ. In other words, I'm here to do his will. I live by his leave. He's the Lord of my life. He's the Lord of every part of my life. He's the Lord of my, my marriage. He's the Lord of my children. He's the Lord of my home. He's the Lord of my finances. He's the Lord of, of my hobbies. He's the Lord of everything that I enjoy. He's the Lord of everything around me. 
And so for me to live as Christ, Paul said, I live by his leave. And wherever he sends me and wherever he takes me to go, whether it's in plenty or whether it's in need, whether it's in being glorified or whether it's in being abased, whether it's being loved by people or being persecuted by people. And that's where Paul says, I know that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. See, everybody knows that Bible verse, but they don't know the context. That's what separates the believer from the unbeliever that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can glorify God and I can have joy in my heart when I've been given six months to live. I can glorify God and I can worship him and praise him and shine the light of Jesus Christ from my heart and from my life when someone I love is taken from me or when I find myself in need or in want. That's the freedom that God offers his people because Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Jesus Christ didn't come into the world so we could have this, these wonderful, blessed, fulfilled life. You know, hashtag blessed, hashtag blessed. And we are blessed. But Jesus Christ didn't come so I could have a nicer car, right? Or even so my relationships could all be perfect. Or I could have the best job. Jesus came because I was lost. I was separated from God because of my sin, because of the decisions and the choices that I made. And the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies of God, Jesus Christ died for us because that's how much he loves us. He gave all that any who would believe in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. I have already been blessed with the greatest gift, the greatest thing that's ever been given to mankind in the history of the universe. And I know, as Job says, when, when my skin sees destruction and corruption, when I die... I will behold his face and I will live with him forever. That's my hope. It's not that America's going to get it back, right? I mean, you see these things happening around you. You're, you're Americans, you're patriots. It bothers you. It upsets you because you have this idea in your head of America and the flag and, and, and the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and you see those things slipping away from you and it's hard not to fall into despair or to get angry, but everything that God has said was going to take place on planet earth before the return of Jesus Christ is taking place. And yet we look at it and say, why, why, why? Well, because God said in his word, this is what is going to happen. Not because God was willing or God wanted for these things to happen. It's simply because of the hardness of men's hearts. As was asked a famous question one time, how is it that God allows? Why does God allow sickness? Why does God allow disease? Why does God allow war? Why does God allow famine? Why, 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 why does God allow these things in the world? And this evangelist said, the problem is choice. It's because ultimately God's plan was for you and I to have a relationship with him. We were created to have a relationship with him. That's what we were created for. And we were separated from him because of sin. It separates us from him because he's a holy God. And so from that point until Jesus Christ, his plan was redemption. His plan was redemption to bring us back to that relationship with him. That's what God is after. That's what's important to God. And there's choice that has to be in a relationship, right? If you don't have a choice, if you love me because I tell you you must say you love me, or you're my friend because, you know, if you're not my friend, I'll get you fired from your job or something like that, you're not really my friend. You don't really love me. You haven't been given a choice. If you really see me how I really am, 
If you come over to my house on any given day and see me acting the way I act and being the real Frank, and you say, wow, just wow. And yet you decide, I still love this crazy guy and I still want to be his friend. That means something because you made the choice. And so all the way back to the Garden of Eden and the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, it wasn't about the fruit, it was about choice. God says, I want you to love me and I want to have a relationship with you, but you have to choose to do that from your heart. I don't want robots. I don't want automatons. I want people who love me and who understand how much I love them. The problem in the world is choice. And mankind, as the scripture says, we all like sheep have gone astray. And each of us has turned to its own way. And the heart of a man is deceitfully wicked. It's beyond knowing and finding out. You ever have a thought go through your head and you are absolutely appalled at yourself? Where did that come from? You know what I'm saying? If we're being honest, if we're being real, there's the testimony that you give people, that you tell people, and then there's your real testimony. Because you would never admit to people or talk from a, a podium like this about the things that you've really done or the things that have really gone through your mind or the things that have really entered into your thought life. You'd be ashamed of it. The heart is deceitfully and deceptively wicked, the scripture says. We can so easily find ourselves down a road of destruction because of the choices that we make. You look in the world today, what do you see? You see conflict. You see hatred because of what? Different skin pigmentations or different places that people live or philosophies that people have about this or how they think this should be done. And understand, understand, it's not about what the news is telling you it's about. It's about hearts that have chosen a life other than one with God. That, that it's, it's in it, I, I know I'm making it simplistic, but I mean that with all my heart. I mean that with all my heart. We live in a Christ-rejecting world. All the way back to when Jesus was standing before Pontius Pilate and the people were there and they said to Pontius Pilate, we will not have this man to rule over us. He said, isn't this your king? Isn't he the king of the Jews? We will not have this man to rule over. We have no king but Caesar. And it's the same in the hearts of men today. And we see the consequences all, all around us. So, the children of Israel go to the promised land. God bless you. They go to the promised land. They lose faith. They don't believe because they see the hardships. And so God says, you're not going to enter into the promised land because it has to be attained through faith. And so you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years and your children are going to enter into the promised land. So that's where we find ourselves for the past few weeks in the book of Deuteronomy. The children of Israel have come back around to the promised land are ready to enter in. And there's a whole new generation of people who were not at Mount Sinai right? Who didn't see the plagues in Egypt. And so God is going to continually remind them of what he did in Egypt and at Mount Sinai, and he's going to renew a covenant with these people before they enter into the promised land. And once again, reiterate, reiterate again and again, the repetition, the repetition, the repetition of the word of God. If you do these things, if you do these things, if you don't do these things, we have the mountain of blessing and we have the mountain of cursing. God goes out of his way to show in a massive way, I put before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And God would say, now, please choose life. 
People say, how dare you give me a choice? How dare you tell me I must do this or I must do that? Well, he's God. Who does God think he is? God? He's God, right? So here we are in Deuteronomy chapter 29, and it begins like this. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab. Now, that's where they are, entering toward, coming towards the promised land. They find themselves currently in the land of Moab. Uh, and these are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which he had made with them in Horeb, that is, at Mount Sinai, okay? So God is reiterating that same covenant. I will be your God, and you will be my people. And the uh, conditions of that covenant is that you would serve me and worship me alone, and that you would obey the commandments that I give you, and I will bless you, and I will be with you. But if you don't do those things, and if you reject me, and if you cast me away from yourself, and you go after other gods, then you're not going to be any different than the nations I'm dispossessing before you. You're not better than them. You're not greater than them. It's simply that I've chosen you. And you're seeing through them and what I'm going to do in these nations, you're seeing the results and the wages of sin and rebellion and wickedness. And don't think to yourself for one minute that just because I've blessed you and redeemed you and rescued you, that if you rebel against me and you run away from me, that you won't fall into the same, same state of, of disrepair that these nations find themselves in. Now Moses called all Israel and said to them, you have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. This is interesting in verse 3. The great trials which your eyes have seen, the signs and those great wonders. What does it mean by trials? What is God saying those great trials? They're also called the trials of Pharaoh. The trials of Pharaoh. In other words, God didn't just go to Egypt to rescue the nation of Israel, to bring them out of Egypt and destroy the Egyptians. God was trying to show himself to the Egyptians to be the only one true God. He was showing them it, it, the plagues that God brought on the land of Egypt were to show them. And each one of the plagues, there's a, there's a book written, I have it written down somewhere, the name of the author. You can see me if you're interested. But each one of the plagues of Egypt was a specific judgment against one of their gods. And God was showing himself to be preeminent out of, uh, over all of their false gods and giving Pharaoh himself an opportunity to repent and to just admit, God, you're God and I'm not. And of course, we know how that went. Pharaoh had no interest in recognizing God. I don't know this God, this Jehovah of whom you speak, nor will I let his people go again and again. And, said, and, and, and Pharaoh hardened his heart, and Pharaoh hardened his heart, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. That means God was giving him opportunity. And the Bible says that a mixed multitude went out of Egypt. It was not just Jewish people that went out of Egypt. There were many, many Egyptians who saw the work of God's hand and said, that is the one true God, and wherever he goes, I want to go. And whatever people he's with, those are the people I want to be with. Uh, and so you've seen the trials. Uh, verse 4, yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to hear, or excuse eyes to hear. I don't think that works anywhere. Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear, to this very day, in spite of all of God's wondrous works, with their natural eyes, they never grasped the fullness of relationship that God desired to have with them, save a few. 
And it's interesting. All of the works that God does in Egypt, all the works that God does bringing them out of Egypt, all the works that he does at Mount Sinai, going through the wilderness, the victories over in the battles that they fought and waged and were won by the power of God. And then he's going to bring them into the promised land. And yet he says, for all of that, you've not been given a heart to perceive, eyes to see, and ears to hear to this very day. There was only a few, 12 spies go into the land. And they say, we can't do it. There's no way. We've written it all down. We've planned it. We've gone over all of our military strategies, the greatest military minds among us, and we just can't see a way that we could possibly have this victory. Only Joshua and Caleb said, I see a way, because God said so. That's, That's the way. In fact, they were more than just willing to admit that. They were like, they're bread for us. You know what I mean? We're going to go in there and eat them up because of God, because of God. But in spite of all God's wondrous works, if they didn't have hearts of faith, they could never see what God was really doing. You see, you go through the the, the history of the nation of Israel from the Exodus all the way through the times of the judges, all the way through the kingdom years to the splitting of the nation into the north and the south, into the Babylonian captivity, back from captivity to the time of Jesus Christ. And it says these people are, uh, the prophet would say, these people are always seeing and yet never perceiving. And so Jesus Christ could come on the scene and he could show himself to be the absolute fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies that were given in Isaiah and Jeremiah and in the Psalms and in Genesis and everywhere throughout the Old Testament. He could show it and he could prove it and he could tell him who he was and he could prove it with miracle after miracle. And it's like they watched him with their eyes and yet they could never understand what God was doing because there's no faith there. And the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God because anybody who comes to to him first must believe that he is and then that he is a rewarder of those who diligently pursue him. And so they saw Jesus Christ. They handled him with their own hands. They heard the words that spoke out of his mouth. mouth. They saw the miracles that he did. And then after he was crucified, he rose from the dead, ascended to the right hand. There is no tomb. Let me tell you something. I say this all the time. If you're going to start a new religion in which you are God, okay, you know where you don't start it? Your hometown. I would never go back to Eastwood and be like, I'm the Lord. They'd be like, Chubbs, you're not even close. Not only are you not the Lord, I remember this one time, right? You would never, you got to go to Kathmandu or someplace, right? Where no one's ever seen you or heard of you. That's where you start telling people you're God. But Jesus Christ stayed right in his hometown. He never left a very small geographical location throughout his entire ministry. And from right there in the center and the heart of where he grew up, he said, I am God's son. And I am the word become flesh. And he told his disciples throughout his ministry, I'm not here to conquer the Romans. I'm here to die for the Romans and for you. And he did just that. And he was buried there. And they put a Roman guard, a special forces unit in front of his tomb to make sure that no one stole the body. And historians can say whatever they want, but when you take a Roman soldier, a group of Roman soldiers, a special forces unit, and you put them in charge of a tomb, guess who gets in? Nobody! And the Bible tells us exactly what happened, that an angel appeared, and those soldiers fell down as though they were dead men. And the stone was rolled away, and Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And you know what the story they ended up passing, passing around saying that happened? The disciples came and tricked the guards and stole the body. The disciples mind you, the fisherman, the tax collector, the zealot, the goofball, 
They came and they stole Jesus' body from the Navy SEALs. Hello? You don't do that. Not only that, every single one of his disciples went to their death because they would not deny the fact that they knew who Jesus was, that he had in fact risen from the dead and ascended to heaven. They would never deny it, and they and many of their families were put to death before their eyes, and they would never deny what they had seen. He has shown us to be who he is, the wondrous works that God has shown again and again and again to a Christ-rejecting, God-rejecting world who only will ever go their own way. No one rules over me except me. See, that's half of our problem, Americans. We were built on rebellion. Now, my Bible tells me that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and pride is like divination. Now, I'm thankful for those rebels. Really, really thankful. But the idea that we still have in our hearts is that no one tells us what to do. No one tells us what to do. But that's exactly what God needs, is to be the one that we accept as our Lord and our Savior, and that He can, in fact, tell us what to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 says this, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Now listen to this. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now the Bible teaches us that we are three parts. God said, let us make man in our image. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You are body, soul, and spirit, or body, mind, and spirit. Your body, your physical body, some better than others. Uh, your, 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 your soul or your mind, we call your mind, your soul, that's who you are. That, what, that is what makes you who you are, your likes, your dislikes, your passions, the things that you're, that you're wild about and the things you can't stand. That comes from your soul or from your mind. That comes from who you are. And there's a third part of who you are, and that is the spirit. And the Bible teaches us that our spirit is dead because of transgressions, because of sin, And what happens is when we accept that fact and we accept the fact that I need a Savior and Jesus Christ is that Savior, He died on the cross for my sins and I accept that free gift, I receive that free gift and what's more, I want Him to be the Lord over my life. The Bible teaches us that then His Spirit comes alongside and quickens or makes alive our spirit. This is what he's talking about here. The natural man cannot know the things of God because they're spiritually discerned. The natural man's spirit is dead. It cannot hear the voice of God. But those who have come to Christ Jesus through simple faith and put their hope and their trust in him and ask him to rule their lives, the Holy Spirit makes our spirit alive and we're able to see and understand. Some some people just, what are you talking about? I know for a fact this is what God is doing. This is what God is saying. God has shown me this. And this is when he's crazy born again. God showed me. God God showed me. Somebody get the white jacket for this clown. You know what I mean? You're crazy when you talk like that. God showed me. God told me. God told me. God told me. And people look at you like you got three heads, right? But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you understand and know exactly what I'm talking about, and you're reading a portion of Scripture, and you're praying, or you're singing a worship song, or whatever it may be, and God comes alongside you and speaks into your mind, and you know exactly what he's saying, and you know what's for you, and you know what's for today, and you're driven to worship and to obey. That's the Spirit. And the natural man knows it not. And so many of these people that saw all the wonders of God were natural men. 2 Corinthians 3, 12 to 16. Therefore, since we have such hope in Christ Jesus, 
we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel would not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away, how? In Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, that is the Old Testament, the law, the Torah, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The veil is taken away. How do you have a relationship with God? How is it that you have a relationship where he can speak to you? How does that happen? How does that take place? Let me give, it's very difficult. You have to want it to. And I mean it. It's very difficult. You have to, I want to, but. I know I need to, but. And all the excuses. And well, God's got to understand, and God's got to understand. God wants it all. He will never divide his time. The first commandment, you will have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. And that doesn't mean before me in order. That means before me in my presence. In other words, there should be nothing, and there ought to be nothing in your life that is preeminent over your relationship with Almighty God. And there ought to be nothing in your life that you wouldn't, at a word, lay it down on the altar for God's glory. Nothing. Well, I'm afraid if I become a Christian, God's going to send me to be a missionary over blah, 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 blah. That's not how God works. And let me tell you something. If God is calling you to be a missionary, okay, in some deep, dark jungle someplace, if your heart is given to him and your heart belongs to him, there is no place on planet earth that will make you happier than that deep, dark jungle. I promise you, right? You think I wanted to stay in Syracuse? The wages of sin is Syracuse. I, I, I grew up here, right? And I grew up, and it was, I wanted to leave here, right? I wanted to go out west to the land of mountains and dirt bikes and, 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 and big mountain snowboarding and all of these. I know I don't look it. I enjoy these things. Not well, but I enjoy, that's what I wanted. That's where happiness is. Then I can finally be happy. And it took God years to show me the only happiness, son, that you're ever going to find is in the center of my will. Amen. Even in Syracuse. There is no place I'd rather be. Everyone's talking about all my crazy conservative friends. You know, most Christians are all a bunch of crazy conservatives, right? Maniacs, maniacs, these people. I got to get out of this state. King Cuomo's taken over. It's turning communist. The People's Republic of New York. You know what I mean? Oh, it's going down. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? They're going to take our guns. We're going to have to shoot them all in Jesus' name. <laughs> what? Let me tell you where this dude's going to be, wherever God wants me to be. Amen. And if God says, Chubbs, you're going to go to Texas and eat ribs instead of wings, then that, so be it. But until God releases me from the state of New York, from that little house on 3 Calvary Road in Kirkville, New York, I will stand here, I will live here, and I will die here. And know this, when I die, there'll be a big, fat, chubby smile on my face because I know I was where God wanted me to be, and I know even further, I'm going where he's called me to be. And that's why we sing the song, when I die, don't cry for me, because in my father's arms, I'll be. It don't matter where they bury me. I'll be home and I'll be free. That's the hope. I think it's closed. That's the hope that ought to live in the heart of every believer.
of every believer. And so when you begin to see things that way, and as, as Jesus said, you begin to store up for yourselves those treasures in heaven that moth and rust can't destroy, that thieves can't break in and steal, nobody can take that away from you. Where my treasure is, is with him. And Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, he told his disciples. And here's the two things you ought to know. If I'm going to prepare a place for you, guess what? I'm going to come get you and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. That's the only place I want to be. That's the only place I ever want to be. And everything belongs to him. If God takes one of my kids, they were never mine. I will weep. I will wail. I will mourn. I will act all sorts of horrible, I'll make a mess of myself. And through all of that, and through that pain, I will know my children are safe in God's hands. And if my child is taken away from me on this planet, he's with Jesus or she's with Jesus. That's what this life is about. This life is about the next life. When we read in the Old Testament about the Jordan River and the Promised Land, some of the old spiritual songs, you know, they understood, man, they got it. It wasn't a real river we're talking about, and it's not a land that we're talking about, a physical land. It's that promise. It's that when we talk about the promised land, we're talking about that place, that hope and glory. That Jordan River is getting over yourself. It's getting over all of your will. It's getting over all of your flesh and all the things that you have decided you're going to do because this life is yours because you're trying to get to that promised land. That's my home. That's where I belong. The scripture talks about the Old Testament saints. They understood they were just pilgrims. If you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, I highly recommend you read the book Pilgrim's Progress. It is incredible, and it is a story. It's an allegory about the Christian journey from salvation to eternity. That's God's hope, or excuse me, that's God's word. That's God's will for all of us. Um, let's stop there. That's, that's good enough. And even get out a little early. You know what I mean? I mean, I could, I could go on for another three hours here. You know what I mean? Let's pray <laughs> instead. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. And uh, Lord, thank you so much for just the immense uh, truth and, um, and hope and instruction that we find, Lord, in the pages. Learning about the, the Old Testament saints, Lord, and the nation of Israel, Lord, who you brought out of Egypt and you brought into the promised land and you continually work with them, Father, not only to show us uh, what it looks like to walk with you, Lord, but also what it looks like to not walk with you, Father. Uh, we, Lord, we pray that you'd rescue us from ourselves. And I pray that for us individually. I pray for that, for that for us as a family, as a church, Lord, and as a nation. I pray that you'd rescue us from ourselves. Father, we have each of us gone our own way, uh, Lord, and our, we're a nation that's gone its own way. We're a world that's gone its own way, Lord. And our hope is not in politics. Our hope is not in uh, anything that this world has to offer. Father, our hope is in you and in Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to do is shine that light to tell as many people who will listen to us, Father, that there's a hope beyond all of this and it's the only thing that really matters. Uh, Father, we love you and we praise you. Father, as uh, the one person that came to Jesus said, I believe, help my unbelief, Lord, because it's there. Right alongside my belief is always my unbelief, is always my doubting, is always my fears, it's always my my lack of faith, Lord, my lack of love, my lack of everything it goes on and on and on. That's what comes from me. Lord, I need the good stuff that comes from you, that comes from your Holy Spirit so that I can appropriately love the people you put in front of me, that I can tell them the truth and that I can above all things, Father, serve you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength and do whatever it is you've called me to do. Go wherever you've called me to go. 
I pray that for each one of my brothers and sisters here today as well, Lord. I pray that you bless the moms. I pray that you bless their homes, their families, the work of their hands. Thank you for them, Lord. Thank you for them. We love you and we worship you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody.